Welcome to G-Rated. I am your host, Guthrie, and today I am joined by my friend, Chris Thompson. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good, Guthrie. How are you? You know what? I'm doing pretty good myself. Appreciate you asking. Chris, today we are breaking down a whiplash per your recommendation, which is a movie talking about the, the, the dynamics between a teacher and a student. Uh, without further ado, I think let's get right into it. But remember, I'm new at this, so bear with me. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. This place is nice. I really like the music that they play. Bob Ellis on the drums. <laughs> I'm part of Schaefer's Top Jazz Orchestra. It's the best music school in the country. The key is to just relax. Don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about what the other guys are thinking. You're here for a reason. Have fun. Five, six, and... I want to be great. And you're not. We got Buddy Rich here. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Here we go. Five, six, and. Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will gut you like a pig. Oh, my dear God. Are you one of those single-tier people? You are a worthless pansy ass who is now weeping and slobbering all over my drum set like a nine-year-old girl. So how's it going with the studio band? Good. Yeah, I think he likes me more now. I push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe that is an absolute necessity. I want to be one of the greats. And because I'm doing that, it's going to take up more of my time. And this is why I don't think that we should be together. I would never let him put my son through hell. Why would you let him get away with what he did to you? There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Chris, um, that is the trailer to this movie that we are going to be listening to or talking about right now. And um, I just want to kind of get right into it. This is a movie that I had never seen before, before you recommended it. But I wanted to hear a little bit about why you chose it, because it's a little bit off the radar. And I, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of redeeming elements to it. What, what made this stand out to you specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So I first saw this movie... I think it came out in 2014 or 2015, right? But I first saw this about three years ago when I was still in college and it didn't really make an impact on me then. But when you brought up this discussion, I was sort of going back to good movies that I've listened to or not listened to, watched. And this one popped, at, popped back at to me because I recently rewatched it and it really resonated with me because one thing I think a lot of people in our age group are going through right now, they do have this dynamic of either like a mentor or a teacher mm -hmm. or professor. And it really, I wouldn't say was spot on to my current dynamic with my mentor, but he does, you know, sort of employ similar tactics to get me to motivate me and like self-motivate me. So it was really, it's really kind of cool to see that on the extreme. Now this is definitely extreme for this movie. It's, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you saw me watched it, but I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people in our age group, they're young professionals. 
just starting out and they're really like going for it. And in this movie, there's a grind, you see the grind, you see blood, sweat and tears. And blood, it just makes, yeah, very, yeah. Very literal. Yeah, very literal. And um, so I don't know. I mean, I just think it really, really goes well with what a lot of people uh, in our generation are trying to get through right now. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, uh, it's interesting to think about the similarities that you have as, you know, you're trend transitioning from a, a role in, in college where it, it's, it's quite literally Terrence Fletcher is in this movie, a professor or an instructor. But as you transition from college to the working world, there's kind of that gray period for a lot of us that are, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old, where we have direct mentors. We have people that work with us like every single day. And that's not going to be how it is, uh, you know, for the, the rest of our professional career. And quite frankly, it's going to probably fade somewhat soon and, mm. and until we become a mentor to someone else. But yeah. this dynamic between a college student and a, a, a an instructor, I guess, is he a professor? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so he, he, he stands out to me as like someone who kind of, skirted the system and they let him in even though he didn't have a PhD. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. He was kind of like, you know, in college you have the professors that went out into the real world and succeeded and now came back and got bought out. Mm -hmm. uh, he reminded me a lot about that. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, uh, a lot of his philosophy was like the world's tough, so you better be tough, you know what I mean? I think that's, I think that's the, very much the case. I, going back to the blood, <laughs> sweat, tough. and tears. Yeah, very tough. Go, going back to the blood, sweat, and tears comment. Quick side note. Did you understand or realize that you could sweat that much by playing the drums? No, no, I couldn't. I mean, I've seen a lot of old photos of... In my mind, I'm thinking of this German band that plays this song called Du Hast. And within this video, they have... It's uh, this German band called Rammstein, and they play a song called Du Hast, and within it they have this drummer, and this drummer also has this video on YouTube where he like spins around in circles. Mm -hmm. And that sweaty scene where the guy's like trying to play as fast as he can reminded me a lot of that, about that. But that was the only other time where I've seen a drummer just absolutely sweat bullets the entire time. Honestly, I don't see him drinking a whole lot of water. <laughs> He's not very hydrated. Like, there was one, okay, that extremely awkward breakup scene at the very end, the lady offered him, would you like me to fill up your glass of water? You know, yeah. After the girlfriend left. And I was thinking to myself, you, you better take her up on that. Because I don't, I don't know if, if you realize this, but you're about to die of dehydration from all the, the videos that we see of you grinding every single night yeah. um, in, that, in that gym so that, or in that, in that studio. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, I think, I think that definitely points to, like, in the movie, there's never really, like, a recovery point. Like, there's never it's, – it's only – an hour and 40 minutes, so it's pretty mm -hmm. quick, but there's never like a scene where you see uh, the main actor just take a breath. Right. Like he's always just pushing, pushing, and pushing, mm -hmm. pushing. And it's kind of the reason why, I mean, you see that freak out. Right, right. Yeah. I think that if, if we're going to start talking about what really makes this movie unique, because it's a very unique movie, I, I, some of my favorite movies to watch are, are ones where they really hone in on the characterization uh, of mm -hmm. or just the characters themselves and how they develop or uh, what makes them tick. And yeah. that, you know, sometimes could be like an ensemble where you have like seven different people that are all being developed simultaneously, you know, and something like a reservoir dogs or something like that. But mm -hmm. in this movie, you, you 
Dustin Hoffman's there. Uh, the, the girlfriend's there. But yeah. you, is Dustin Hoffman his dad? Yep. Oh, yeah. No way. I didn't even recognize that. <laughs> He's got such an interesting career. That's, we yeah. could have a Dustin Hoffman podcast. But I think that the, what really makes – what stands out to me about this film and why I really like it is just being able to really hone in on, wait, what is the driving force behind these two cats? And I think it's very interesting to, to note that we really, especially Andrew, we really don't know much about this guy. The first shot of him is just this very lonely shot uh, where the camera's down the hallway and it's slowly fading in. And he's just sitting there all alone playing his drums. Mm. And we know, obviously, the complicated past that he has with his mom or lack thereof. And we know about his dad. We know what his dad does. We know that his dad is, you know, the only parent in his life and that he's extremely supportive of his son, cares deeply for his son. But the little specifics, like, what was this guy like in high school? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We get that one video of him playing drums as a kid, and that's literally it, which is <laughs> all we yeah. see him doing throughout the entire movie. So it added essentially nothing to it, you know? Yeah. So I, I wanted to, you know, kind of frame that or frame a question where talking about the intentionality of that. Why do we get so little about this guy? Sure. Yeah, so I think it's sort of kind of a, uh, I would call it like an experiment of like isolation. Mm-hmm. Because the goal of this movie in is at the end, you see that the goal from both main actors is what to get the best drumming out of this uh, young drummer while they still can, while he's like in his prime. Mm-hmm. And so I think they start off the movie with him in the practice room uh, to set the scene to where it's literally just a story about himself mm-hmm. and his ability mm-hmm. and the immediate second character that they introduce is Fletcher Mm. and it's an immediate uh, relationship where you see that all the professor cares about is the results all that the student cares about is the um, his ability to produce a product so I don't know I mean it's in my mind I think like you're referencing how it only really talks about this one point in time like there's no pre there's no post like the movie even ends like the climax of the movie and it just cuts off. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't give you any sort of um, closure. Like what, like what is the result of this amazing solo at the end of the movie? Mm-hmm. And I think what it is, is the movie, whoever made the movie, I don't know. It's just like, it just goes about, in my mind, it's all about the driver and the blood, sweat and tears mm-hmm. and the driving force. And what is the driving force? What are they trying to do? Because right. I think you could apply it to pretty much, any other profession and get the same result, mm-hmm. but they chose to do jazz music because I think it's got some intrigue in it, but it's, uh, I mean, it is a personal journey, mm-hmm. like within those, uh, an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, no, I know. I, I see what you're getting at because it's, I think we're, we're both emphasizing that like, this is just a moment in a, in a, in a life. This is a, obviously huge. There, there's a, uh, a, a, a massive amount of development that takes place in Andrew's life. And mm. this, you know, whatever, however we, however long we expect this to be, what is this like probably a six month period, a seven month period, something like that. Eight yeah. months, not even a year. But I think it's important to understand that this doesn't have to 
talk about someone's entire life because mm-hmm. these you know seven months really like are going to dramatically shift his life regardless yeah. one way or the other the the critics at the end of the movie might have just remembered that what what is it called the the double double the double swing or yeah the double the swing the mm-hmm. double swing mm-hmm. in the beginning they might just remember that and they say mm-hmm. you know whatever happened in that caravan performance uh doesn't matter because screw this guy he sucks or you know obviously it could have the exact opposite effect but yeah. i think that they're just trying to emphasize how important like these years are in his life and Absolutely. that 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 might just be that might be in a, in some ways a coming of age story Absolutely. And I think, I think one thing that we see a lot in movies nowadays is like this huge character arc. Mm-hmm. Like it's this huge progression. Like, and that's what makes movies so rewarding mm-hmm. and why we can invest ourselves within the storylines mm-hmm. because we do become invested with the characters, especially mm-hmm. when you talk about, I mean, to expand the conversation a little bit mm-hmm. farther, like when you talk about HBO series and you're with characters for like four or five years, mm-hmm. but this movie is all about, does he do it? Or does he not do it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like yes or no. And I think they left out. Well, one thing I think, one stylistic part about it is I think that they had to leave out a lot of character development. Like, I bet you they shot a lot more scenes around the relationship side, that right. girl. But right. they left it out because, one, the conflict in the story, I think, could only support like an hour and 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so they trimmed it down to those, just that singular message. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, at the end of the day, the only thing that would satisfy me as a viewer was seeing him rebel a little bit against his mentor mm-hmm. and do that little solo. Mm-hmm. Or not a little solo, that huge solo at the end. Yeah. Right. And I think so it's not really about the character. In my mind, it's about what they're able to get out of each other. So it's the relationship more than it is about the individual characters. Even more, mm-hmm. what are some examples of what you think Andrew got out of Terrence? So, <laughs> no, I mean, thing, right? it's like, well, because it's obvious what, you know, Terrence can, uh, it has been able to unlock in, mm-hmm. and Andrew to a certain extent. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy already had the drive. Yeah. This guy, yeah. this guy was driven before he met mm-hmm. uh, Terrence, but it's safe to say that there was a, there was another level that he reached that comes from that specific mentorship that might feature a lot of emotional trauma. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just curious, you know, where, where you were kind of going with that point of, okay, so if, if Terrence was able to unlock another level on Andrew, what are some of the things that Andrew was able, how is he able to shape and alter a extremely rigid personality yeah. and, and, and Terrence? Well, I mean, the one, I mean, going on a branch, like, cause I don't really see, it's a very interesting idea that you bring up because I don't really see, much change for Terrence at all, other than the fact that he literally got fired <laughs> because of uh, because and of Andrew uh, did have a hand in that. And Andrew had a hand in that. Um, I don't think his mentality changed. I don't think his philosophy changed because the last scene is literally him trying to screw over Andrew. Mm-hmm. You know, but I do think that they both get what they want in the end because um, Terrence talks a lot about how he wants that one great player. And that one great solo out of that one player. So the only thing that Terrence really gets is like a satisfaction. He becomes satisfied with his career, excuse me, Mm -hmm. and like sort of his accomplishments. But I mean, I don't think he develops really at all. 
Like, <laughs> but he's just kind of a jackass the whole way, the whole way through. He's a slight jackass. Slight um, jackass, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to kind of go back to the, the the last thing that we were talking about, deeper questions about, you know, what this what this this movie says in the end. Um, yeah. And talking about Terrence's intention, Terrence's intentions. What were, were his intentions throughout that process? Because it's very obvious that he set him up to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, or at, at the very least, he set up the average person to fail. Mm-hmm. Is there any scenario, is there any possibility that this played out the way that Terrence wanted it to play out? No. No, so I think Terrence is a man that likes to hedge his bets. So, like, say that the movie was created over one of the other drummers in the group. I think, I mean, my view on this character as a person was that he would do the same exact thing to any other drummer player. And I don't know if he necessarily, this is the big mystery of the film, right? Does Terrence see any special attribute within Andrew? And you can't really tell throughout the entire time. And the only time that there is, like, a realization is at the very end. Of course, like Andrew sees it within within himself, but Terrence is pushing him, and you can't really tell if Terrence is pushing him because he thinks that he's some legendary drum player that can pull it out, or he just likes to be an asshole. And I like honestly, I'm tending towards the side that I think Terrence just likes to be an asshole. Like, well, there there is no there's no doubt this guy gets intense satisfaction out of being an asshole. No doubt yeah. about that. However, I will say, I think that he, that it's, it's in my view, fairly obvious mm-hmm. that he does see something special in him. Mm-hmm. For one, from the get-go, it is very obvious that Connolly was, Connolly, right? Connolly, the little guy with the little red, red shirt, with the brought in mm-hmm. simply to fuck with <laughs> his head, but fuck mm-hmm. with it in a, almost an expected and intended way, where he, Terrence understands how Andrew ticks. He mm-hmm. knows that this is going to push him harder. He does even deliberately say, I, I brought him in eventually to, you know, fuck with your head. Yeah. But he, he doesn't have, he doesn't pay attention, it seems like, to any other kid in this, in yeah. this jazz. With the, yeah. the, the, the guy that was out of tune. Um, the fat guy. He wasn't out of tune, remember? Yeah, the fat guy. <laughs> he wasn't out of tune. He, he, he totally, he, like, that, that was purely a satisfaction for him. Other than yeah. that scene... When do you actually see him interacting with anybody outside of the drum section and the entire band? Well, so that, so that brings up a really good point is being a drummer in the jazz band that special, like, does it require that much attention or is it just kind of like a secondary or is, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's not more important than any of all the other instruments, but the way that the, or the amount of attention that Terrence gives towards the drumming section makes you think like it's a make or break make or break instrument within the group and maybe it's that's just like the way that most jazz bands are set up like it's all about the drummer Mm -hmm. you know you definitely have more knowledge about music in general than i do and i don't know if either of us are jazz aficionados (laughs) but you have to imagine that in any form of music one instrument or one instrument group is not going to take up or need as much attention as Terrence gives to the drumming section. Oh, I mean, it's, it's like that seven-hour seven yeah. practice and five of it was just trying to push all three drummers to the absolute brink. You know, I mean, I mean there, there's, there's, no, there's no scenario in my mind mm-hmm. where Terrence doesn't spend an 
extra, extra amount of effort trying to unlock that one guy that he always says he wants. That yeah. was Casey. The drum, Paul, the, was Paul Casey, the trumpet guy. The guy that committed suicide? Yes. Side note, Paul Casey's a golfer, so I messed that name up. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that to a certain extent, it, it, also, also the fact that Paul Casey was a, a trumpeter, I think maybe speaks to the fact that this is just Terrence trying to lock in on not one instrument, but one mm. musician. Yeah. And he, in the example of, uh, of Casey, mm. um, we're going to call him Casey. Sorry if it's wrong. Yeah, that's um, fine. I mean, I don't really know his name. <laughs> <laughs> that was a trumpeter. And that was yeah. someone they targeted. Mm-hmm. And they have all the same similarities, Andrew and Casey do. Because both of them weren't natural like natural musicians that a bunch of other people recognized you know mm-hmm. before they came to terrence but terrence saw the drive he saw the passion and he saw potential that no one else saw so i think that that speaks to the all everything that happens in this movie it's not that it's framed in a specific way i don't think i think that they are deliberately saying no terrence spends 99 percent of his time thinking about a how can I be an asshole? Or B, how can I unlock this different level? Yeah. And, and Andrew. I see what you're saying there, and it definitely makes sense. And two points come to mind because of that. The first is, I would, it's hard to see what Terrence actually saw in Andrew because a lot of the first third of the movie, when he was still playing in the group before the group that he switched to, mm-hmm. Terrence's group, mm-hmm. he was considered like a bad drum player. And most yeah, people behind so, which it, clearly sucks. exactly <laughs> you know I, it blew my mind i was like how does this guy go from this bad player mm-hmm. to all of a sudden this savant mm-hmm. under terrence's eyes and it might be the drive because he saw them saw andrew playing at like 2 a.m in the practice right. room and that might be completely it right and then secondly one thing we might be able to talk about later but it just came to my mind is like if terrence is investing this much time into andrew is Andrew's uh, willingness to talk to, you know, the school or whatever authorities that he talked to, is that a big betrayal on Andrew's part towards Terrence? Mm-hmm. And does it warrant the final scene that actually occurred where he literally tries to screw him over? I, I think that that's a very obviously a complex question with a lot of layers to it. But yeah. one way to attack that question of is someone in the wrong, I think it almost has to be discussed the, the line that, that Andrew references. Is there mm-hmm. a line to pushing someone too hard? Is, does that yeah. line exist? Yeah, when they're drinking, because when they're having this drink. Ex- right, if that line exists, Tanner, or sorry, uh, Terrence most certainly crossed it. But <laughs> yeah. do you think, you know, this kind of gets back a little bit to, the, to the, the, the reason why you said this movie stands out to you in a way. Do you think that there has to be a certain level, I don't even want to necessarily call it trauma, but emotional distress <laughs> that must be had in order to be successful? I think that's a question of growth, right? <laughs> the, in my mind, it's like getting out of your comfort zone is a uh, key necessity for growth, right? Mm. I think that there is that limit. Like you don't need to be throwing those chairs at your drummer's heads. No. Like he does in the movie. Or like you're, Andrew's literally taken to the point where he tackles this man on stage in mm. front of like his peers in like a very public forum is that is the extreme and that is the result of taking it to that far. But 
I mean, you're dealing with the idea of what is art, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're searching for this goal of something that's never been done before and you're trying to be the best. So, I mean, there's that give and take right there. It's like, and in my mind, it's like, if you want to be the best then you got to push it to those limits. You know and what? if you have the, if there's somebody willing to do that to you, then I guess you're kind of lucky, but you're also at risk of getting in a car crash and almost dying. Yeah. I, I, think I don't know. It's, it's complicated. It's, it's, you know, life's complicated. Um, mm. I, I think that <laughs> to a certain extent, I, I, I think that Andrew, if he was sitting here right now, would wholeheartedly agree with what you just said. Yeah. Um, he, he knows, you know, that, that he wants to be great. He wants to not just be great. He wants to be, I think his line was one of the greats. Yeah. And, um, and he knows that that comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of saying no to a girl that for some, for whatever reason, actually likes you, even though you're so weird, you know, and bring very little to the table as far as like emotional support and future financial success is concerned, you know, mm, I mean, just mm. to be honest, she, they bring very little table. And obviously this girl is the antithesis of, yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, and um, one know. thing I didn't realize when I first watched the movie was how much of a, uh, how like Andrew is like a band, like a band geek, you know, mm-hmm. like I didn't re- like when I was first going through the movie, I was like, wow, this guy's just like a badass drummer. But the second time <laughs> I was viewing it, like this guy, he must like he was just a band geek in high school, and like mm-hmm. he's just like an awkward guy, mm-hmm. and he really is like the um, like the, his biggest development as a character is his willingness to stand up for himself and without to actually do things. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I think, and that- that's the that's the biggest fault that he sees in his dad. I think is because like the first scene where he's in the movie theater with his dad, and his dad gets hit in the head with a popcorn, yeah. he says yeah. sorry. And so that's so he has like this disrespect or he feels this disrespect towards his father because his father's kind of like a pushover, mm-hmm. not a huge success. Mm-hmm. And then he loves Terrence. Like he, he definitely does like really love Terrence and he wants to be Terrence and he wants to be that hardcore, you know, do it for myself. Hard headed kind of guy. We, we, we uh, I think this, this will be a nice transition to our next segment. One of the, the most obvious examples of, of Andrew trying to become Terrence or wanting to become <laughs> Terrence one day yeah. uh, is when he starts picking up on the quips. Uh, let's go over a couple of our favorite quips right now. Sure. And I have, I'll give you just, I'll, I'll give you my first favorite Andrew quip. Uh, okay. When he is, ta- he's at the dinner table with his dad and mm. some family or friends. Mm. I mean, not his friends because we know he has none, but He's sitting at a table and they're talking about the D3 quarterback. And I, I believe he says, why don't you come play for us? And, and Andrew says, four words you will never hear from the NFL. <laughs> that was my favorite clip. Well, let, let, let's, let's get into some of yours. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of Terrence's are, I don't know if they're able to be repeated <laughs> on, a, on a publicly recorded thing, but my favorite one from Andrew definitely has to be when he goes to get after the, his backup drummer mm-hmm. and he's arguing with Terrence in front of the entire band. And then he looks back and he's like, we're going to give the part to, I forget his name, Connolly, right? Mm-hmm. Connolly. He's like, we're going to give the part, the part to Connolly because you're late because your bus tire got blown out for who knows what happened. 
Uh, and uh, Andrew goes like, he looks back to Connor and he's like, no, you shut the fuck up. You turn my pages, bitch. And yes. he just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I think that's hilarious. I think also, uh, I think a fair question. Mm. Why is there no like group bus? Yeah. Why is he riding alone? <laughs> Why is this guy stuck riding, riding a Greyhound? Like, you know what's the likely answer? Is there's probably a, a contemporary jazz uh, group meet or group chat. And they all coordinated it, but they just clearly did not invite Andrew because I don't think the guy even has probably group me on his phone. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, but I mean, I, yeah, and that, like Andrew, that goes to the whole fact, like no one really likes Andrew. No. Like, he's not a likable guy. And the only reason he has this part is because he, I know it was actually an accident and it's framed to the audience as an accident, but the other bandmates think that Andrew screwed over the previous drummer. And by losing why, the folder. Why, why, why would you blame them? It, it, it's yeah. pretty incriminating, you know, scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we never really get an explanation on how the folder was lost. Like that could be a Terrence move, you know? That's I, something that Terrence would do. I, th- I think that it, 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 we've knocked on Andrew a good amount. <laughs> so in all fairness to Andrew right now. Yeah. He did only leave it there for five seconds. Max. No, yeah. Yeah. So why is the instant reaction, you know, if you know you leave it there for five seconds, you can likely still see the guy in the hallway. Walking you know, away. Who, yeah. or, guy or girl. Like, it, it, there's, <laughs> there's very little turnaround time, you know, where the guy could be able to, unless he's like flash. Let's go like just sprinting through the hallway, yeah. <laughs> looking for this drum folder. And it like been obvious the music. That's, that's like a, that's a head turner. If you see someone that's just, you know, you've got to feel the, uh, the wind moving from his sprint. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's moving so fast. Oh, geez. So uh, another, another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, oh, oh, another a, a G rated quip <laughs> on uh, Terrence's part, that final scene, not final scene, but second to last scene where they're sitting at the jazz hall together, catching up over drinks. Terrence is giving an update to ta- to to Andrew about Tanner, and he said, "Yeah, mm. Tanner switched to pre med. I guess he got discouraged." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know if you could call a, a pre med student discouraged, but, um, but yeah, yeah, it's um, in like what Tanner got discouraged. Connolly was only a distraction for you. It's insane, like um. The way that he – it goes to another point. Like, the way that he entraps Andrew in that last, like, little battle that they have, it's maniacal. Like, it is evil. Mm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is an evil man. Another example yeah. is when they – when he – I think it's the first or the second class when they're doing my tempo. That's it. The, yeah. My tempo. The, uh, mm. the guy comes outside when they're all taking a water break or something like that, and he's, he's like, stanced up. You know, he's got this hand on the, the wall, like, just chatting, shooting the shit with, uh, with Andrew. And he's like, oh, tell me about you. This, that. The guy, Andrew, feels comfortable because he clearly respects the hell out of this guy. Yeah. Comfortable enough to tell him about his mom, you know, within, essentially, that their first real conversation. Then Comes he immediately the class, goes back and right uses it against him. him. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guy uses that against him in front of the whole class. And that's the, I believe, the first scene where we get the, the cry element to blood, blood sweat, and tears. Um, yeah. He's like, I'm like, upset. What, I'm upset. <laughs> what are you, a single tear motherfucker or something like yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So let's see. 
I think that, yeah, we, you know, circling back, we can agree that um, this level of emotional trauma is not necessary for success. Mm. It, you know, Terrence and Andrew, I think, would both agree that emotional trauma is necessary uh, to be one of the greats. Um, yeah. I'm not saying I agree with that. I think that they would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's an interesting, and it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I want to talk uh, more about this drive element. Okay. And how, um, seeming uh, after the car accident and after he tackles Terrence on stage, you know, both Andrew and Terrence, it seems take a downward spiral and not just, you know, their circumstances are changing, but it seems as though their behaviors almost shift to a certain extent. We, we see that Andrew is finally, you know, ready to throw away his life and, and try to have a girlfriend. You know, he life. calls her back up and she says, no, I'm, I'm kind of taken right now. And, and he's <laughs> better up. than you in almost every regard. But I, I think that, that you also see that he, you know, he works at a pizza shop and, and, and um, you know, he, that, that, that's, that's, there's nothing, uh, with the exception of the fact that he always is eating pizza, it doesn't yeah. seem like something that he's passionate about. So it, it, it seems that he's lost his drive in that regard. Uh, he lives in this very boring apartment, which is to yeah. be expected. But, you know, there, there's not a whole lot going on. And, and then he sees Terrence. And I think that the style of music that Terrence is playing is sort of indicative of a behavioral shift. Uh, mm. Terrence is fast-paced whiplash, you know, caravan, like fast-paced jazz music is what he instructs. But then he comes to this jazz club and he's on the piano and it, the, 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 the tempo is very much not his tempo. It's, it's mellow. It moves slowly. It's relaxing. And I don't necessarily want to say that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a downward spiral and necessarily a quality of life or anything like that, but it's a, sh- a significant shift in behavior. So I wonder what you know, the movie is trying to say about how you respond to, to loss. like that? Yeah. I mean, there's two sides to the coin, right? Is, um, is Terrence actually experiencing these new uh, trends in his life? Or is he just a, like a maniacal genius? You know? or, or, but, he, or is, this, is this jazz club literally directly below Andrew's apartment and he orchestrated everything. He's been the playing in there every single night. He wanted Terrence to, or sorry, Andrew to eventually show up where he can mm. con- concoct this elaborate scheme to let him show up to the Carnegie Hall unprepared. Yada, exactly. Yada, yada. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, it seems a lot more unlikely. But <laughs> I think one of the, uh, when the filmmakers, when they made this scene, one thing we should note is during the entire other parts of the movie, Terrence is dressed in complete black. Mm-hmm. You know, that black shirt, the fedora, the jacket, et cetera, et cetera. In this scene, he's wearing a completely different outfit. Mm-hmm. So I think what that goes to show is I think, um, you know, Terrence really does believe in this alter ego that he has. Mm-hmm. And Andrew saw the, his actual personality when he was actually play, just playing music with his buddies. But this alter ego is like pretty much the devil. You know, wearing black, got these huge biceps when he's conducting. It's kind of insane. Like, he's this huge, intense guy. I mean, the guy's, like, probably, what, 60, maybe? 60-ish and just I mean, absolutely he's, he's dragged. Jacked. <laughs> he's jacked. He's got, in the, in the Farber's commercials, 
he's got a much softer appearance. <laughs> yeah, you know, he really he's does. He's got this tweed blazer <laughs> on with a, a sweater and his tie buttoned all, all the way up, everything. Where, you know, as opposed to this Satan. Yeah, yeah. And Satan might be pushing it, but it's definitely. I mean, he even admits to it. Like, he does act as this evil genius with this drive to create this emotional distress guised as motivation, mm-hmm. like pushing people to the edge and does this progress jazz because he thinks that jazz has like stopped progressing. Mm-hmm. And he so he uses this alter ego as a, uh, a force of progression, I would say, mm-hmm. for the musical, mm-hmm. the music art that they're all interested in. Gotcha. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting concept, right? It's like, um, I think Andrew, invests his entire character into this but then you see this dual-sided uh terrence and you realize that he actually has a life outside of it but andrew definitely doesn't you know and i think it, it, it going off of you know that point you also see him when he he's interacting with that girl right before that mm-hmm. first uh performance i think that's the scene where uh where andrew loses the 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 notebook and you see him say, oh, I haven't seen you since you were this tall. You know, he's, he's got this, this uh, you know, friendly, warm, almost fatherly demeanor to him. So are you convinced that um, the alter ego is the motivator? Or is the motivator who Terrence really is? And he's, he's putting on a, a front for this little girl and, 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 his, and his jazz friends at the, at the low-key club. <laughs> what's, what's, which one's the real Terrence? I think, I mean, it goes to the question, what is his final act as a character? Mm-hmm. He's trying to screw over Andrew, get revenge. Mm-hmm. And vengeance is not, I think that definitely plays more to the, uh, the guy that wears all black and right. flexes his biceps while he's pointing drums to like, <laughs> play more, give me more, up tempo, give me my tempo. Am I rushing or am I lagging or whatever? <laughs> I think I think you're right. I think that, when all the chips are on the table, when when he he's down on his luck, mm-hmm. that's who you. When, when when the going gets tough, that's when you really learn who people are. This guy's lost his job. He's he's uh, playing at his life work, right? Yeah, what? His he's life not work. just his yeah. job. I mean, that's that was his. For by all accounts, that's his life. That that that's mm-hmm. his, that's his purpose. And I think that him choosing not forgiveness but revenge yeah shows that maybe the alter ego is the one who's you know passing out lollipops to like the little you know girl or whatever um yeah yeah because in the the front that he puts on whereas mm. the the one when he steps into that studio hall you know that's that's who he is exactly and i think like in the end he wins right because andrew puts on this amazing performance Mm -hmm. And he can be like, oh, it was all part of my plan. But in reality, I don't think, I think he really just wanted to screw this guy over. Like, I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a story of um, Andrew misplacing his confidence, right? Because he takes, he takes his trust away from his dad. His dad is not his, his dad, as much as his dad wishes to be, his dad wants to be his mentor. But in reality, he, uh, Andrew does not gravitate towards dad. Towards his dad, he gravitates towards his his, uh, his asshole, his antagonist. And his it's, absolute, it's like, he has this he has this blind faith in him. I'm sorry, Andrew, but the guy was the, 
Terrence is right. <laughs> How stupid are you to think that Terrence doesn't know that you were the one that's ratted him out? He he blindly, he's like, oh, I just happened to run into my professor. And <laughs> I just happened to run into this guy. <laughs> and now all of a sudden he, even though he got me dismissed from school, like, he wants to give me a second chance, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he really loves me. But no, Andrew, this guy wants to screw you over. And yeah. um, I finally have an, uh, another shot at, at being a drummer and, and being maybe even better appreciated and accepted and loved by, by my mentor. Yet he just, he, he, like a sheep, he just, he just follows. He's following him. Follows a wolf, like right into like the wolf's den or lair, whatever wolves live in. I got one question for you, and that it kind of spurs that on. Do you think that the whole emotional trauma and way that Terrence tries to motivate Andrew, do you think it's worth it for what they're able to achieve in the final scene with the solo? Do you think uh, that whole experience, you know, getting hit by a car, running around this random-ass town, bleeding out of your head, and like – tackling your teacher on stage, you know, in front of all these judges and all these people. Do you think it's worth it? Not to mention getting kicked out of your college, which, I mean, it's insane. But do you think it's worth it for the uh, what they're able to achieve in the end? No. Let me be clear. You know, if, is it worth it for that one moment on scene? It's not. No. It, it, mm. On stage. You know, that was a great performance. He, he, he put everything out there, you know. He left it all out on the field. And there, there was a certain you know magic that, that that happened in that in that moment. But let's be real: if, if we're just isolating that one incident, someone convincing you that you don't have time to have a girlfriend, that you get kicked <laughs> out of school, yeah. you know, the best music school a, in the country, right? You get, I, I can't imagine what the financial strain was on his dad when he wrecked a rental car. All of these things, like he, he's he's. The, the one thing that he cared about in life, even more than any of this, the one thing he cared about in life, he mm. locked away in his closet. He locked his drum set away in a closet for seemingly six months. And he never played again because of all of the trauma that he put him through. I think that's the biggest weakness of the movie right there. Mm -hmm. It expects the audience to think that that solo is worth all the pain, mm -hmm. previous the previous pain. But in reality, like... I don't know how they would frame it, and I I think they did like they did a good job with what they were able to do. I don't know how you frame like projecting this guy's uh, success and like a musical career within a small period of like how you put that into an ending. Mm -hmm. But I think like every time that movie ends, I'm always like that's all they get out of it. It's like that's it. It's like five minutes of like happiness, five minutes to where they actually connect as human beings, where yeah. you've got Terrence. Edge, like encouraging him to like go further, go further as he's doing the drum solo and Andrew feeling like he's actually succeeding at something he loves. But then it just goes to black. Mm -hmm. And I right. think like that's, that's kind of unsatisfying in my opinion because there's so much heartbreak in this movie and there's so much. There's a lot. It, there's just, I mean, I know we keep talking about it, but like literally you see this guy bleed all over his drum set. Yeah. You cry all over it and you're just like, that's, that's really not. I don't know. I mean, it might be a lack of artistic something in my blood, but I just don't see the, uh, I don't see the payoff there. I, I think that, you know, this is not a Disney movie. Uh, I, I forget who produced this movie, but the element of, the element of unknown of, mm. of, of what happens is important here to, to talk about because 
we don't get the satisfaction. I don't. I don't think that this this movie wants you to to leave satisfied. I don't. Yeah. Um. I think that uh, that there's there's art in that. Um. And, and leaving it, um, am, am, ambiguous to a certain extent. Mm. But you have to leave there, hoping that he becomes that one of the greats. That Andrew becomes one of the greats. That I, I almost said Roddy Rich. Um, <laughs> what's the what, what, what's what's the his his idol? What is like Buddy King or something? Buddy King. That's it. Where yeah. was I thinking of Roddy Rich? Anyway, um, <laughs> sounds I like a pitcher's that, name. Right. But but mm. going back to it, like I think that in a way that emotion of hope of of desperately hoping that this guy makes it is more mm-hmm. intense than just a, a a level of satisfaction that you see for 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 seeing that oh you know what he became first drummer in lincoln orchestra or whatever it's called i think no it's yeah and it's, it's, a, it's like a very good point too and i think like me as like a casual viewer not someone that's in that world mm-hmm. i don't really know how to measure success like i think going to that college in of itself is like an accomplishment but um, like they keep mentioning the lean consider and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's like how you actually create a career out of this is your long-term employment through larger orchestras or sympathies or jazz groups, et cetera, et cetera. But <laughs> is he actually going to get something from this solo that he played in front of um, just this one theater? Also, instead of, I, I got to correct myself. Instead of Buddy King, it was Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich. So we were both kind of right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there, right there. We, yeah. uh, anyway, I, I think that, that this, this movie, you know, he, he, he even explicitly states, I, I don't care about being rich. I don't mm-hmm. want to die rich at 95 and not have anybody remember who I am. Mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman says, I don't want you to die of a heroin overdose at 34. That's not the life I want for my son. But Andrew makes it explicitly clear. He considers that a successful life because we're yeah. sheerly because of the fact that we are talking about him yeah. at this dinner yeah. table. And none of and us I, knew who he was. <laughs> and I think that's a good indication of him being 19 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we've got we two. Fast Die Young. We've all, we've, we all had those thoughts freshman year of college. But we, we, when reality uh, we, hits. You know, we're sitting here. Um, both of us are, are 24 years old, staring down the mm-hmm. barrel of our mid 20s, and that's not old by any stretch of the imagination. But 34 is less than 10 years away for both of us. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to die of a heroin overdose in less than 10 years, and I'm not going to speak for you, but <laughs> no, I think that's pretty universal right there, for sure. Uh, so we're gonna uh, take a quick break. And we're going to let Chris Thompson do an ad read for us real quick. Have you recently moved in to your own apartment and therefore living by yourself? How is your back? Do you have back problems? Do you need someone to crack your back? If so, please download the new Philadelphia Backcrackers Association app on iTunes. For a quick $5 stack, you will get your back cracked and therefore be much happier. <laughs> for a five dollar stack for a five dollar stack you will get your back cracked that is use, our motto use promo code g rated uh for your first experience with back crack philadelphia tell them i sent you tell me some <laughs> only 250 <laughs>
Two dollars and fifty cents. Wow. All right. So uh, I'm joined here by both Chris Thompson and and Herbert, and we're talking about Whiplash uh, with J.K. Simmons. Chris, I'm blanking on the lead actor's name right now. Yeah, I do that a lot myself. Miles Teller. Miles Teller. Thank you for that one. Uh, yeah. you know, J.K. Simmons received an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. For this movie? For this movie. I, I, I forget if we've touched on this already, but Simmons cannot recall anything I have seen him in other than these Farmers commercials. And I very quickly got over that. He is a very specific personality. He, he has the same outfit. He goes about life in a, a fairly consistent way. Uh, with the small exceptions of him, you know, buttering up uh, Teller in the hallways, um, you know, interacting with the little girl, with, the, with, a, with, with uh, taking those uh, small exceptions out of it, he's an asshole consistently. Um, I think, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that th- that just the sheer fact that I wasn't even thinking about farmer's insurance throughout the whole movie speaks to at least, you know, his nomination. And then eventually he has all of these different powerful moments that really, you know, I'm assuming that's what that's what took the uh, took the award home for him. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, I think one word really describes his character in the movie is like it's very dominant, mm-hmm. very forceful. So it doesn't really give you much opportunity to let in any other previous assumptions that you had about him. Kind of like infect what he's going for in this movie. I mean, the first season, like the first uh, scene that he's in, right? He just immediately criticizes and dominates Andrew while he's practicing his, um, what is it called? The double time. Double time. Double time. Swing. Double time. He just leaves. Like, he just leaves. He doesn't even say good job, bad job, whatever, whatever. And, I mean, that sets the tone pretty early on. Also, I mean, the fact that he had chairs flying around the room. You've got literally people trying to knock his head off with their fists, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just points to – I mean, it just points to a very, I don't know if powerful is the right word. It is, I'm trying to summarize his performance in one word. Not necessarily his uh, character, but his ability as an actor. And I think he, the biceps make him fit into the role really well. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think that's yeah, a, that, have, that is a big thing. Just going to say it, I think we talked more about J.K. Simmons' uh, biceps than I had anticipated uh, at the end of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, the veins, man. The veins while he's conducting. It's pretty... Uh, it's a physical pretty... sport. Yeah, it's yeah, sport. apparently so. <laughs> I mean, the it's amount of sweating that the drummers do, it points towards it, right? You know what? It's true. I, the fact that Miles Teller is not showing off biceps <laughs> tells me that something's wrong. Something's wrong with, with, with uh, how they approach this movie. But Yeah, um, yeah. No, it, it's, 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 a, uh, it, it's an incredible performance for this part. Um, I think it's without um, someone that can dominate a screen like he has clearly has the ability to do. I don't know if this movie works as well. Yeah. So yeah. I think it, Cause it's very, it's, it's very character centric, right? It is. Cause you only get to know two people the entire time. You're right. And, and, and you know, like we mentioned, Dustin Hoffman has screen time. Other people have screen time, but this is a story about a, a teacher and uh, you know, his student. It's it, they, they both need to, they both need to crush their roles uh, in order for a movie like this to work, and it did. Um, going into another character that is um, sort of off the beaten path and, and uh, has very little screen time, 
uh, on this on this movie. The the girlfriend. Uh, we've alluded yeah. to her. We don't know why she's she's with Miles Teller. Why she's with Andrew? But this breakup scene, man, it's brutal. This is tough. I think that this girl is actually could be very good for Teller. She mm-hmm. is the antithesis of uh, of of Andrew. She goes to Fordham, which is just yeah. a school where they where they, they have more general studies as opposed to Schaefer. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't even know why she went to Fordham. Fordham's a good school, but you know it, it's she's not and, passionately driven by something like like Andrew is, and uh, she's okay with that. She's willingly vulnerable. She she talks about her life effortlessly, and I think that she pushes you know Andrew to do the same to open about up about you know, his complicated family situation and, and everything that goes in, into it. He starts ignoring his dad, you know, when, when he's with this girl. Like, he's clearly very affected by her at an emotional level. Mm-hmm. And she's his only outlet to a certain extent, other than the music. And he cuts her off for that specific reason. Yeah. You think that this guy had been trapped in his apartment with his dad all the way in, up until he had gotten to, to college. Because he has no awareness. He has no social awareness whatsoever. He thinks it's perfectly accessible to tell this girl that I don't want to go out with you because you are a distraction to me. And that you are a negative influence in my life. And you are going to keep me from achieving my dreams. And I'm going to resent you for it. And he thinks that that is totally okay. To a girl that really shouldn't have said yes to going out with him in the first place. Her only knowledge of this guy is that he goes to the movies with his father not that there's anything wrong with that a lot you know a lot. And they put raisins on their popcorn and raisinets raisinets <laughs> raisinets on their popcorn that's so much better you're right and 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 that, that's what she knew about him and that he, he looked down she even highlighted that that, that he looked down the whole time he's shy he's, he doesn't have the confidence that that one would expect if you know you had liked the girl that serves popcorn at the movies um, definitely, definitely. Just with the he, um, and then he just, he just, he, he embarrasses her. He embarrasses her. He does. I mean, he, he literally, this relationship, the second time I watched this movie is one of the amazing uh, reasons why uh, Andrew's own ego slash his whole identity. And it showed how his whole identity is wrapped up within this singular pursuit, Right. Like, it showed me when I was watching this second time how much of a band geek this guy actually is. Like, the first time I watched it, I, th- I thought this was just some badass dude that was playing the drums and crushing it. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, you realize, when I moved away from the whole drum pursuit a little bit more, it's like you... I also had subtitles on. And to give you a little context, when you have subtitles on and when the band's coming in, into the room where they're about to play, like, to do practice, et cetera, et cetera, they, all of them are talking about how great weekends that they've all had together. Like, they're all talking about the parties and, like, the uh, people that they've hooked up with and, like, how, like, they've all just been, like, you know, college just 22-year-old students. stuff. Yeah, college students. <laughs> and you got Andrew just literally sitting at the drums from, like, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., mm-hmm. just waiting around. And it just shows, it just goes to show he's just an absolute geek about all of this stuff, which is, I mean, he's found a passion, like, props to him, but... Like, this girl literally could have changed his life. Any single man in the city is probably looking for the, you know, the cute girl behind the uh, popcorn counter. He just throws it away, which is a big shame. Not to mention in a very awkward way. 
<laughs> he says, I am going to be a great man, and you're going to hold it against me. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of a quote. Uh, <laughs> the only thing all men have in common is the audacity. <laughs> I think that, yeah, it goes without saying, crawling back to her yeah. in some feeble attempt to his way of asking her back out is to come watch him perform <laughs> in something that he broke up with her for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't understand that. He, he there's no chance he understands the the. Yeah, I don't know what um I don't know what his like he's supposed to have this redemption moment, right? Where he there's there his relationship with the girl is defined by two moments. It's like one he gets invited into the new jazz group and he has a confidence from that. And therefore he asks her out. And then two, he's finally recovering from his experience with Terrence. And then he's feel like he has control over his life. And therefore he asks her out again. And it really just sounds like this guy needs to download hinge or something. <laughs> and it's another presenting sponsor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> another, another thing that I think getting into, um, some of the motivations that Andrew has. We understand that he has an intense drive. There's some things about his character that are very clear cut. Um, yeah. and, and therefore that many of his decisions are all related to that drive and are clear cut. But one somewhat puzzling decision that he makes is that contradicts, quite frankly, all of his behaviors leading up to that decision was his choice to sell out Terrence. The lawyer comes to him and says, hey, I know Terrence lied to you and said uh, that Paul Casey, our, our golfer slash trumpeter, um, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, you know, didn't actually die in a car accident. He killed himself. He hung himself in his apartment. And the family did not come, you know, from, you know, comfortable financial background, but they're not even looking for money. They just want to make sure that he doesn't do this to another person. So we figured that we would come to the guy who recently got into a car accident, decided immediately to perform on stage, clearly was exhibiting, uh, this guy should have been in concussion protocol. Uh, yeah, their, yeah he their, should have been under the tent, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> under the blue tent, yeah. Uh, but he wasn't. And Terrence kicks him out of the band for an embarrassing performance, for embarrassing mm. him. Um, well, he also tried to beat his ass on stage. And then he tackled him. <laughs> and so they said, hmm, we might want to look for at this guy uh, as an example of emotional distress or trauma yeah. and, and how that can be established at this point in their life. All that being said, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Terrence treats this guy like mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. And he, he has this undeniable affection for him. Yeah. And but I think, think no, go ahead. Go. go, go for it. Well, I think like what you're kind of trying to get at is, you know, why, why does he hold back from, you know, doing it in the first place when his dad needs to convince him? Mm-hmm. Like, cause there is that conversation between him and his dad with the lawyer on the sideline mm-hmm. where his dad actually needs to convince Andrew to provide the testimony to where Terrence would actually get, you know, there would be consequences for Terrence. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, um, it's like, why would that ever be? It's like, clearly this guy has emotionally abused you for six months of your life, gotten you kicked out of college, essentially. And I mean, 
I've never been T-boned by an 18-wheeler, but it sounds like it's probably pretty emotionally distressing as well. Not, I mean, not to mention the blood that was on him while he was performing in that, that one scene. And everyone thought it was okay. Yeah, and like in my mind is um, why didn't Terrence see that and be like, why am I kicking this guy out? Clearly he has a drive that I've been looking for. And Terrence throws him aside, yet Andrew is still at first hesitant to participate with the hearing or the testimony. And I think that all just comes down to Andrew wants to be Terrence in the long end, right? Andrew just wants to have that ability to tap into the artistic side of Terrence. And I like that that gets highlighted when we see Terrence playing jazz in the club later. But I mean, throughout the whole movie, it's undeniable that Terrence is a genius. Like he is a musical genius. I mean, the way that he like is critical against his students, you can tell that nothing gets by him and therefore he knows exactly what he's talking about. But it's like, is there that blind trust? Is there that blind, that blind loyalty? Is that constructive or, I mean, what do you think? Like, do you think that Andrew was in the right when he provided the testimony and therefore backstabbed Terrence? Or do you think Terrence, that was well-deserved? I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to even mince words about it. He, he made the decision that I, I hope I would have made. Let's be real here. I mean, I think that it's entirely plausible that uh, because of Terrence's actions, that eventually led to, you know, this trumpeter's suicide. And that shouldn't be taken lightly. Now, his emotional reaction, though, Terrence's emotional reaction to the, at first what he presents as a car crash death, but underlying, he knows that it's a suicide. Do you think that he feels regret? Because he does cry in front of, like, the entire group. What we're looking at is guilt. Yeah. Uh, I I think that... um, But then later in the movie, he says he would never apologize for the way that he treats any student. And he didn't. Yeah. He he didn't apologize. But he Mm -hmm. does recognize that... It's almost like he's got this Machiavellian attitude to him. I'm not going to apologize for it because I I want, because this guy ended up becoming a great musician and that was my goal and I accomplished it, blah, blah, blah. Like all of everything else is aside. I think that Terrence doesn't see what he does is wrong because the ends justify the means to him. He looks at this trumpeter and he thinks, I made him into a great musician. And he did. Mm -hmm. But at what cost? And those costs aren't part of Terrence's calculation when he's dealing now with Andrew this yeah. few years later. Um, yeah. He doesn't think like, wait, my same tactics towards Paul Casey, we really should look up his name, uh, towards Paul Casey <laughs> led to potentially, because I think he is feeling guilt that led to his suicide, but he doesn't reassess. He doesn't approach his relationship with with Andrew any differently, if anything, he it's I bet he heightened it from you know his first interactions with with Andrew compared to after he found out about uh, the suicide. So yeah, one thing I will say is that I don't think that Andrew shed his blind loyalty towards Terrence because of this uh, of learning about it being a suicide. Mm-hmm. I think he shed it because he wanted. He had that same mindset as Terrence, vengeance. You know, um, like, fuck this guy. You know, yeah. This guy got me kicked out of school. He might. I mm-hmm. was going to be one of the greats. Uh, what's the on the waterfront quote? 
I could have been a contender. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, like that, that's, that's what his... Um, Talking about practice, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think that, that he, he acted in a way that Terrence would have acted. And mm-hmm. Terrence did act. He acted for vengeance because he thought that there was a line and Terrence crossed it. And that was what led him uh, to tackle him and eventually get dismissed from school and all of his dreams come crashing down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think his dreams were eventually realized because the 19-year-old, all he ever wanted was that one shining moment, right? Mm-hmm. In front of the uh, the critics to have that one best solo. And he did achieve that. He did. And, I think and, there is and, one redemption. And yeah. in the end, Terrence actually provided him with that opportunity. Yeah. Now, he didn't exactly yeah. set him up to succeed. He did the exact mm-hmm. opposite, but he provided that opportunity for him. And he wanted him to leave, and then... That's, that's the genius behind Terrence, right? It's like, we'll oh. never know whether or not that was intentional. I think that is a genius behind Terrence. Yeah. Going, going, yeah. Uh, going into the, the genius of, of, of Terrence, of, this, of, of how he perceives himself to be, and how, quite frankly, um, I think objectively speaking, he knows a lot more about music than I'm ever going to know. <laughs> I love the scenes where he just literally moves from bar to bar within the like, sheet of music. And like he just picks it up, and he is so quick hey, about Terrence telling who to do something and who needs to like improve on something else. And he's like, he's like, Edward, you're flat on the fourth note in bar twenty six. While Taryn, like Andrew, you need to be like. Could you not imagine having an ear like that? That's insane. Like I don't know how someone develops that. Yeah, it's got to be like God given gift right there. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't tune any type of an instrument. No, no. I can, I can <laughs> tune a recorder that doesn't need to be tuned. <laughs> I, I, so I think it's 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 fascinating to a certain extent. Yeah, Terrence and how I think that he he here's what here's what I think Terrence is boiled down to, especially at the end. He he's an old head. He's classic like back in my day, yelling you know on, uh, while sitting on his front porch to no one in particular, and he's saying that people it's it's politically incorrect or something to push people like this anymore in order to be one of the greats there has to be someone like me that's gonna be pushing pushing you to achieve your best um and i think that quite frankly terrence at this stage of his life has no desire to be one of the greats Mm -hmm. he he has when he gets fired instead of seriously pursuing a jazz career which he has the contacts to do. He just plays a casual jazz hall, just yeah. simply enjoying it. But he does have a desire to teach one of the greats, to find that talent and to harness it. And he's just frustrated with the world. And he's a little bit of a broken record while also being a genius. I don't know. Yeah, yeah well, Terrence. it brings into, brings into question is like, what even are Terrence's qualifications? Like we just kind of assume that Terrence is this great jazz musician. When, and I mean, you asked a question about it a little bit earlier. It's like, what context are we given? There's a lot of assumptions made in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I mean, that speaks to a lot of the way that the movie is set up. It's like, no matter what the audience is, we all make the similar assumptions, mm-hmm. which is, in my mind, a, a sign of good storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I, the one The one line that, um, I think speaks to Terrence's motivation. Um, and quite frankly, 
Andrew's eventual resignation or reservation uh, about Terrence's behavior was he asked them to point blank, but is there a line? Is there a line in this whole experiment with emotional trauma and developing, you know, the next great musician? And Terrence replies, no, there's not a line because mm -hmm. the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged under any circumstances, like a Mamba mentality, Kobe Bryant, like that kind of a thing. They are not going to ever be discouraged. And he's going to be sifting through all of, all of the dirt until he finds that one, you know, little gold nugget that's going to be the next Charlie Parker. Yeah. Never be yeah. discouraged. Do you think Andrew's the Charlie Parker? I think Terrence obviously thinks that Andrew is the next Charlie Parker. Yeah. Or else he wouldn't spend as much time as he does. This guy He's going back to her. Yeah, yeah. He, going back to a previous conversation, there's no way that the drum section is that important in a contemporary jazz band. It's And not one instrument, not even a saxophone or a trumpet, which is some of the, the, the instruments that you think of when you think of jazz. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no way that the drums are that important, but he targeted someone, someone that's not going to be discouraged. And yep. that he's going to... He's going to traumatize this person until he gets everything out of him that he can. Yeah, I think it's funny, too, because you say traumatized, but in my mind, that's an understatement. Oh, like, I, I, right. it's, it's just insane the way that he – because it does work, right? Like, when you are in a life-or-death situation like he is with that car crash, what is his immediate go-to? Where are my drumsticks? I need to go Where are my, yeah. more blocks. Yeah, yeah. And that's just, right there. It's like, it's yeah. a few more blocks. And the guy is like looking at him like a crazy person. Like, yeah. no, like you should, you should go to a hospital. Yeah. It's like you're bleeding out of a your lot. head right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so clearly it does work. Clearly. Well, Chris, uh, this is, this has been very fun. I think that the, the moral that I'm taking away from this story, A, I'm hesitant about farmer's insurance going into the future. <laughs> yeah. Because if that's their spokesperson, it's going to be hesitant about it. Might and need to double check. Exactly. And, uh, and be thinking about my life as a young professional and, hmm. uh, and, and thinking about, you know, relationships that I have with my mentors. I think it, it, it's important to understand the good qualities about the good intentions, let's say about. Definitely. Parents. Definitely. And I think, if anything, this goes to show is pick your mentors wisely because they do have a big effect in your life, right? You're right. They determine whether or not your bleed, blood, how many blood, sweat, and tears you're shedding on your drum set. So, blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, yeah. have you ever, is there a better example of blood, sweat, and tears? No. That no. you can ever think of? I don't That's, think there is. That it had to be within the director's like mindset from day one. It's like, I just want to see blood, sweat, and tears on this drum set. I'm upset. I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, again, thank you so much, Chris, for joining me today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I love this movie. I would recommend it to anybody that just wants to learn a little bit more about, you know, what it takes to be great uh, and what, what are the costs. And anyone who loves music and uh, loves the process, I think this is, I think this is a phenomenal movie. Anyway, uh, next time we are going to be speaking with uh, my dear friend, Nathan Brenner. I'll, uh, I'll see you guys then, but see you next week.